Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming Dr. Muhammad Noor, the Dean of Natural Sciences at Duke University, and also a giant Star Trek fan. And he and I are going to have a great discussion about how those two things work together in his world. I am positive that this is going to be one of those episodes that make you say, I am really glad I listened to this show, because I am really glad I made this episode. Let's get started. On tap today, we have Dr. Muhammad Noor. How are you doing, good sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. I am thrilled to have you here. I do love having, uh, we've had a couple of academics on who have come in and shown how fandom has kind of made its way into their work, which is something that seems new to me. Is it really? That's a good question. I mean, it's new. It's fairly new to me. I guess now it's been several years. I guess the first one that I really knew well, this wasn't by me, but one of my colleagues at Duke University who's also a professor. His name is Professor Eric Spana. Um, I I went to Dragon Con in 2014 in Atlanta, and I saw him give a talk on the genetics of wizarding and Harry Potter and genetics of biology in the video game Mass Effect and things like that. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I didn't know there was this, this big area where academics could be teaching their discipline, but using fandom as a way of getting at people. And, you know, he wasn't the only one there. I mean, Dr. Aaron McDonald, who's also associated with the Star Trek universe much more, much more intimately than even I am. <laughs> but she actually also, I think she was actually doing the, the Mass Effect talk with uh, Dr. Eric Spanner. I think she was doing more of the physics side, okay. he was doing more of the biology side. We've actually had her on as well, oh, so you uh, you're in good company there. Yeah, um, I'm honored. <laughs> I, I, just one example, uh, we've had on uh, several people who have talked about their love of James Bond or science fiction in general, and it just seems like that was not something that was, when I was in college, which was about 20 years ago, not, yeah. not that long ago, but it's been a time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you didn't really have people talk seriously about stuff that was considered quote unquote pop culture. That's right. So actually, when I was in college, I remember talking with my undergraduate advisor. This was much, much longer ago than for you. I was in college from 1988 to 1992. And uh, my major, my major advisor, so the person who basically oversaw my undergrad uh, thesis was a big Star Trek fan. Like he loved original series. And he followed Next Generation. I remember we talked about it all the time. And I remember even talking with him about the biology. I don't remember that ever coming up in the classroom. I think that was more just informal conversation. He'd bring up stuff, well, you remember how Dr. Crusher said, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> and I still, even today, even though like, you know, obviously I'm long out of college, I still get emails from him about things in Star Trek all the time. <laughs> I, I remember it was shocking the one time, I think it was literally one time in my four years getting an undergrad that somebody ever mentioned it during class. And I was wow. just, it, yeah. yeah. But now you've actually made it part of your work as a, in general, it's part, you're part of the we get straight the outreach program, the science outreach program. For what well, are you talking about? Which, which side are you talking about? The Duke side or for, for Duke? For Duke. Um, yes. So actually, I teach. I actually have taught a class, just a non-majors class at Duke University. These are like first-year students in there, and the class mm -hmm. is called Genetics Evolution Star Trek. It's literally the way it'll be on their transcript. <laughs> So I have, I have done outreach too, in the sense of like, like when I go and speak at a convention, that's considered outreach for the university mm -hmm. as well. But I've done it also just in the classroom too. I guess what I'm curious about is the fact that the university not only sanctions you doing that, but actually encourages it and, and feels like yeah. it's great PR for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to some extent, they're always looking for innovative ways of getting people to learn. 
And, you know, if it achieves that goal, and I mean, the key is, you know, what I can't do, and, and they would not sanction if I was, if I was going to the classroom and literally teaching Star Trek, like, who was the first captain of the Enterprise? You know, if I started doing that, they're gonna be like, what are you doing? This is not biology. You're not, this is not why right. I'm hired. But if it's a way of teaching the actual biological concepts using fandom, yeah, all bets are off. I mean, at that point, sure, they love it, you know, especially if that's getting higher engagement. And that's the way I do it. So the, the genetics evolution Star Trek is a non-majors class. There's a majors class, which I also sometimes teach, which is just called genetics and evolution. And if you look at the topics covered, they're almost identical. It's just a slightly lighter level. And then using this different way of getting at it for the non-majors, which makes sense. Yeah. And it seems like when on, from an evolutionary standpoint, the later Star Trek seems to take that into account a lot more. All the Star Treks reflect the, the knowledge of the time and the acceptance of the time. So even if you go back to the original series on, on evolution, I mean, the nice thing about all Star Trek, it's always accepted, for example, the common ancestry of species. And that's that, that's going to be, even if you go back to the original series, there's um, the episode, um, I think it's called Return to Tomorrow, the one with Sargon and the big glowing ball. Mm -hmm. um, in that episode, Sargon said something about how, like, you know, maybe your own Legends of an Adam and Eve were two of our travelers. And... One of the, the guest people on there, who's actually um, the person who later played Pulaski, but in, in that original one, she was Dr. Anne Hall. She's like, no, our studies have shown that uh, life on Earth evolved independently and on site. Like, okay, yeah, dead on. Now, where you see the big advances is genetics. Because if you go back to the 1960s, our knowledge of genetics like sucked compared to now. <laughs> I mean, we hadn't even sequenced DNA at that point. I mean, we knew what DNA was a hereditary material, but we hadn't actually gotten like uh, sequences of things. And you see this progression as you go all through the different series. Like there's almost none in the original series, pretty close to none. As you go to next generation, there's a fair amount. As you start getting to Voyager, there's like a you know a hefty amount. And now with you know discovery and things, it's, it's very in depth. They get into these you know higher level genetics concepts that are very impressive. Can you not, think not just via me? This is before I even came online with Discovery. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> just give them credit. It's not me. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm thinking of even uh, going to the in the middle of the ground. There are the J.J. Abrams movies, yeah. where they made a lot of attempts to show how certain aliens would actually literally feel out because they they were evolved to have higher sensitivity in their fingers, and mm -hmm. and that was again something you just didn't see in in the original series That's and right. even the next gen. I'm remembering that episode. Uh, where they found out that there was a, a common seed, a genetic seed from the chase. Uh, yes. And next generation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how do you feel about that? It was, it was a good attempt. <laughs> it was a good attempt. So the good part about it is, you know, they, they acknowledged the age of life on earth. They said it was around 4 billion years ago. This also came up in the finale for next generation too, in all good things. I don't know if you remember Q took Picard back to the origin of life and said, Oh, look, we see these amino acids coming together. And it was, and they said it was about 3.8 billion years ago. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, this time scale is right. Origin of life. I don't know about the amino acids part specifically, but you know, we don't know exactly what happened then. So <laughs> that was cool. Um, the idea of panspermia, this idea that life on Earth was seeded somehow from outer space. I mean, that's that's a possibility. I mean, that's something that people toss out all the time. So that part was good. The tough thing there is this convergence, this idea that life on Earth that was seeded 4 billion years ago and on Romulus and on Kronos and on Cardassia Prime would all at the end look so similar. Mm -hmm. No way. <laughs> that's 4 billion years. And people say, well, isn't there such a thing as convergent evolution? Sure. But it's not going to be like in every attribute. It's going to be on specific attributes. I mean, it's not going to be like they look that much like a human where, you know, the same height, the same general shape, the same, you know, and even interfertile. No way. <laughs> even with help, not interfertile. Yeah, no. <laughs> and especially considering in the case of the Cardassians, where they're from a completely different 
what we would call them genus on earth i mean that they're not even close to our branch of, of the animal kingdom yes the thing is like all life on earth is going to be more closely related than so you were literally more closely related to like a palm tree than you are to a cardassian right, <laughs> right? i mean that doesn't make any sense no, it never did to me too, and and yet I understand the the problem they're going for is trying to exactly you know exactly. stitch together how that right. we all have two arms. Two it was legs. a good effort though. I mean, acknowledging uh, the, the common ancestry aspect was good. The concept of panspermia was good, and you know, having some aspect of convergence, you know, they just took it way too far. The way it could work, and the way it would work better, and this is this I think they did this actually in one episode. But yeah, they did an original series in Paradise Syndrome. They said that these preservers had taken individuals from Earth and seeded them to other places. That would work. If you, for example, let's say you took Homo erectus from Earth, you know, not that long ago, but you know, fairly recently, and plopped them over on Vulcan, maybe they would have pointy ears, you know. <laughs> so that, that's okay. And, you know, potentially even be interfertile. I mean, we've interbred with, uh, we humans have interbred with Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe we can interbreed with a Vulcan, even with a little bit of help or something. So that that would work much better. But like, it's the, it's the four billion years part. That's yeah, it was a good, it was a good try. I mean, I'll give yeah. them credit there. It wasn't like, it wasn't crazy. It was better than most sci-fi, which doesn't even try. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I, I spent a little bit of time in the recent past reading about, like you said, the interbreeding between Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon. Yeah. And I, I, that makes sense. And yet, would it be a deal breaker for say the, the Vulcans having copper based blood instead yeah, of the blood thing is blood. tough yeah, yeah i'm glad you brought that up because that's the place where that kind of falls apart like whoa okay so what's the what's the intermediate there <laughs> what's the stage is like how do you go from copper to iron based blood that would be i mean you could try to retcon it but that would be tough <laughs> and, and the thing is it doesn't really accomplish anything in the story other than giving a reason why spock's blood is green yeah i mean there's there's not anything else that that ever really puts yeah there's other like those other major differences like i think then klingons have they have like a second heart or something like that or, or they have a second everything yeah it's, it's all like okay that, that's again that's a tough one <laughs> and it, it, we kind of got the impression that life in the beta quadrant was just harsher in general yeah. those planets were and, and the, so I, I mean i guess earth is just kind of like the, the hilton of the galaxy yes. <laughs> yeah the rest I mean, <laughs> We, we managed to get by with only one heart and, and our air is pretty good and we have yeah. a lot to eat. So it, it doesn't say they don't specify what they mean by one heart versus. So, I mean, one way you could think of it is maybe like we have the left and right sides, maybe like their two hearts is just something where those two have just become slightly more separated. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you start going to something like that, maybe you could make, you could potentially make it work again. You could retcon almost anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and the very brief glimpses we've had of the anatomy where they have the honeycomb ribs and, I just kind of wonder what I There's start to think of. On. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, but it's like I said, you just get, and, and just to go, take a step out of the body, mm -hmm. uh, you have the Andorians where they might have the same amount of organs we do, but they decide we need to have extra parents built into the family because the chance that you're the one's going to die is so good. We need to have another one ready to step right in. <laughs> Fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you're getting to go like the, the social evolution, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do like but, the Andorans. I mean, I'm curious how the, I'm curious how their antennae actually work. Like, they have, I assume they must have musculature in there. Then too. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a lot to involve. I mean, is it is it like on a, just a little stick? And like, what what muscle that's currently in our head and was in our the ancestors of our and in our ancestors that then evolved to be able to manipulate those things? Is it the same mm -hmm. thing as people who could like? Uh, 
wiggle their ears is the same kind of thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe you can good. cut it off cleanly. So it's probably more like an octopus's tentacle. Yeah. yeah. Where there, oh, there's yeah, it's no... clearly not like a bone or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and so that would mean that it could just be like a little nub. There wouldn't have to be anything securing it to the skull, which true. would true. prevent true. damage to the skull. And it grows back in, what is it, nine months or so, something mm -hmm. like that. So. <laughs> And again, that, that's the kind of thing you and I are thinking of now. They did not think of in the 60s. No, definitely not. Yeah. Actually, I don't, do we even see a true Andorian in the original? I mean, we saw the guy who was pretending to be an Andorian, but did we ever see a true Andorian in the original series? I don't remember. I want to feel like we did, but Maybe. I can't name an episode or a character. Yeah. I'm failing on that. I remember that one from Journey to Babel, but that was a fake Andorian because he had that uh -huh. fake antenna. Sure, sure. Was there not an Andorian in Starfleet in somewhere in that? Possible. I keep thinking I've seen that, but I, I might be wrong. Yeah, yeah it's possible. <laughs> I, I love it, but I am by no means one of those people who knows every single detail because I don't have that kind of free time. When did you first get into Star Trek? Uh, first, I was about six years old. Mm -hmm. I'm almost 40 now. Okay. Uh, it was watching the animated series on Nickelodeon. Oh, nice. And so that was just, I was watching this really cool cartoon. And then I got to the point where I was about nine years old and I was at my buddy's house and he had Star Trek three on Laserdisc. Oh. And he said, have you ever seen Star Trek? I think you might like it. And so things you're like, I know the characters. Yes. <laughs> but Star Trek three would be kind of funny. Like why is Spock dead? <laughs> that was a problem. And that uh, you, you kind of had to be filled in on some stuff and, and you, you get the three and, and, it's kind of easy because you're missing, you don't have all the characters, so you can kind of piece things together. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people say you should start people off, new fans, with Star Trek Four. That's a terrible idea. I don't know why people, I, I, I think the reason people say that is because it's just a fun movie. I think that's it is. And, and I like it too, but it's by far not my favorite Star Trek. And it's not, I mean, it's just different. It's just its own, it's kind of a different standalone kind of beast, which I mean, it's good. Yeah. It's it's funny, and that's yeah. why people like to throw it out there. But the problem yeah. is, so much of it is riding on what happened before, and people are like, "Where's yeah. the Enterprise? And why is Spock acting stupid?" And <laughs> and and they they have so many qu legit questions that it's like you, you're just coming in at the wrong point here. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I really like two and six, like in terms of the original series ones. I really I like, of course, Wrath of God. Everybody loves Wrath of God. It's fairly, mm -hmm. but I like six too. Six is just interesting. Yeah, there's a, just the political intrigue and the mystery to it. And it was cool. I, 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 those are probably my picks as well. I like four a lot. Yeah. Um, I actually have a lot of fondness for three just because that's where I got started. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's and, fun. I just watched it uh, recently. Uh, there's the other two that we're, we're, we're not mentioning at the moment. Um, <laughs> Set those aside. <laughs> I will tell you what, there are days I wake up and I say, I want to watch Star Trek V. Wow. It doesn't happen often, but there are days that I'm just in that kind of mood. So I will give it some credit for that. Okay. <laughs> but how are you feeling about uh, the next gen movies, for example? I like. I like them. Actually, I liked all of them. Uh, the next, well, I mean, Generations was a little so-so on, but the rest of them I actually really enjoyed. And it's funny because people give so much grief to Nemesis, and I was like, "Why? It was fine, you know. I mean, it wasn't the best one, but it was it was good." And the same with Insurrection too. Yeah. I, Insurrection was fine. It was fun. It was almost the Star Trek four of the next gen movies. Yeah. And Nemesis, I Nemesis really is, felt. That oh, go ahead. Sorry. It has a very. Uh, I would say almost operatic quality, a very over the top. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a Star Wars movie. Yeah, a little bit. In that way. 
they so tried I, to make they basically it seemed like they were trying to do wrath of khan again <laughs> it was basically yeah. the same thing like here's this guy who has this grudge and you know all the step i mean you can almost map it kind of to <laughs> wrath of khan mm-hmm. in some way and it it didn't work on no, that level for good. me no it wasn't as good but it was solid i mean i enjoyed it yeah. i think maybe the other reason people hate it is of course data <laughs> that's I actually just reached rewatched it recently with a friend of mine and she'd watched it, but she'd completely forgotten that happened at the end. She, at the end, she was like, what? He's dead? What? <laughs> she completely like blocked it, I guess, from when she saw it before. <laughs> My big problem with that is they, they tried to redo Khan on a level that was so literal. Yeah. Uh, like at, at the beginning of Khan, because they didn't want people to freak out about Spock dying, they did a yeah. fake death early on in the movie. Oh, you're talking about the the reboot the, one? The, no, no, in, in the original Wrath of Khan. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, because they so they had him die in the simulation, and then they did the I same see. thing with Data in Nemesis. That's like, true. That's true. Yeah. No, not, you can't follow the footsteps that closely. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. Do your. Sorry, own I thought you were talking about um, Into Darkness at first. <laughs> Which they did that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but but yeah, it's like it, it. I'm actually kind of, I like the way they killed Data off. Yeah. Because, I. I think it's a good writing step is to say we're willing to let this character go in favor of making a good story. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like the fact they didn't bring him back for Picard. They yeah, did. Agreed. Their... agreed. Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised about before the whole thing. Before it was just like, yeah, we decided we were done with him. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> that was interesting. And Lore is apparently AWOL. He was supposed to have been deactivated, but nope. can you ever believe that? Yeah, right. Exactly. Some evil person's going to put him back together. <laughs> so put it, when you're looking at the newer series, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we're talking now you're actually... Discovery, it, Picard, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, how is that going? How, can you give me some insight as to how that works? Because that's... Sure. You're talking really, about consulting specifically? Yes, or? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so with, with uh, Discovery, so the, I only consulted for season three. I didn't consult at all for seasons one and two. So all, those were completely those were completely on their own. Um, it was funny because I mean there was there was a couple of different ways it did. And I should give credit to Dr. Aaron McDonald, who's the, the science advisor for the whole Star Trek universe. I'm just somebody who is contracted as a consultant, where she's like actually like on retainer for CBS and Star Trek. So that's that's the distinction between our roles. I mean, she's actually part of the group, whereas I'm somebody who sometimes comes in to help. <laughs> um, for for season three, we actually had one project together where she and I worked together, which was on basically coming up with something around some science around the burn. Now the, the writers had largely decided a lot of the pieces there in the sense that you know the burn was caused by Sukal, it was caused by some grief of him, and he's on a dilithium planet. So I mean, like basically the setup was all there, and they're like, Can you fit in some bits of how that works. So that was a fun project because Aaron and I got to use our respective expertise, where she brought in all the physics and like the, the subspace quantum stuff and things like that. Whereas I was talking more, much more about the biology, like what are, what are, what's the radiation actually doing to Sukal? How is he changing? And we put some things together for that. Now, the tricky thing is, of course, we developed a fairly detailed thing, but it's not like they had like a 20 minute seminar about <laughs> what happened to Sukal on the episode. It was just a couple of quick lines here and there. So yeah. that's why after the, after the season was finished, um, Aaron proposed that the two of us write an article together for StarTrek.com. It's now actually on the site. It's called The Science Behind the Burn. And that's where we laid it down in a little bit more depth. Though even that had fairly you know, strict length limitations. So it's still kind of brief, but it's a little bit more depth than you can tell just from the, the couple of lines of dialogue that actually showed up in the show. That was a fun I, project. Oh, sorry. 
No, no. I was going to say, I'm really glad that article was written because I got to tell you, I loved season three of Discovery. I thought it was a great story. Thank you. But I, I get to the end there and I say to myself, that really was a great story. It was a great lead up. Please don't tell me that the end boils down to space baby makes planet go boom. Yeah. <laughs> I need more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and the article did fill in. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for saying that too. That was, that was really fun. And the way it worked in terms of just mechanically, they, they reached out to us and said, we, we have these, we have the, this layout. They talked, they told it to us on the telephone. And we basically just had a little bit of back and forth. So Aaron and I would strategize, we'd write something up, we'd send it to them. Uh, I don't remember for that one, if we had a follow-up phone call or not, or if it was all just by email after that, we didn't go anywhere. I mean, this was all just, you know, done remotely, things like that. Um, besides that, we each also had some separate contracts for um, episode five. Um, that's the one that's um, the, the one with the seed ship and things like that. Do you remember that? Yeah. So that one, hers was trying to figure out, I mean, hers was basically identifying that coronal mass ejection as what was causing that guy to be out of phase. That was, that was her contract. Mine was actually around the aliens on the space station saying like, can you see like why they would be sick and how getting these seeds might be helpful in some way or something like that. And so like, so for my instructions, like we need a disease, it needs to be not communicable. It needs to be associated with something they've eaten. It needs to be bad where they can't just like fix it or just, it doesn't just pass or something like that. So that's where I came up with the idea of uh, how about a prion disease and like you're trying to find the original pre misfolded protein from this, from the, um, from the seed ship and things like that. So these guys sketched out those pieces to it. There was actually for that one, more that was supposed to happen with the aliens that I'd sketched out with the writers. That then wasn't in the final episode. I guess they just, I guess they just decided they didn't want to do that with them. So fair enough, I mean, and okay. <laughs> that dovetails really well into one thing I, I had to ask about sure. is uh, when you have the chance to take something that's already pretty good like your average Star Trek episode. Mm -hmm. And then you get to thrust the science into it so that it actually makes some amount of sense in the real world. And they don't get to use everything that you offer for whatever reason. How's that feel in your head? I mean, I mean, that's honestly, that's the expectation. Like, you know, I'm doing this and I'm giving it to them. And then it's like, you know what? They're going to they're gonna make their best call because they see the big picture and I don't see the big picture. I'm just, I'm literally, I, I fully acknowledge my role as a consultant and not a writer. <laughs> you know, I'm going to advise them. And at the end, in theory, they could use none of it, you know, and I'd be a little bit sad if it was none because I'd be like, oh, there's nothing there. <laughs> but, you know, they have to make the best call. And always story is going to trump science. I mean, this isn't, our, as I always say in, in, in talks with people, it's not National Geographic. I mean, this is, a, this is something where if they need somebody to do something impossible and I say, well, here's the way to make it possible, but it's like really jargon heavy or really tough. They're going to be like, you know what? We're just not going to say them. <laughs> you know? or we're just going to make it impossible or so be it. Because again, we're watching, we're watching just fun stories. And if they can make it, I mean, this is the kudos to the writers for this. If they can make it scientifically accurate and not sacrifice on the story, they're very willing to do that. They know how much um, these TV shows inspire people to go into science. They know how much it inspires people to go into STEM much more broadly. And they're willing to invest money <laughs> in this, which I think is fantastic. You know, so the example I like to use is, you know, for uh, there's plenty of shows that if something needs to turn invisible, they're like, fine, I'll shoot an invisibility ray at it. Like, <laughs> invisibility ray? <laughs> what does that mean? That wouldn't happen on Star Trek. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> At least not on modern Star Trek, maybe original series. <laughs> the slingshot effect is one of those where I say, um, how much is there to that? 
especially when you can go both ways. Yeah, <laughs> I just go around the sun the other way and I come forward in time. <laughs> I mean that, that that's just a, basically a hair above Superman spinning around the world backwards to turn uh, back time. It's bit. like, okay, yeah. but that's um, okay. I don't. I actually uh, don't know. I'm not a physicist, so maybe it is possible. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not either, so I'm not going to argue that point. <laughs> But it's actually interesting that you choose those words because that's almost exactly what Dr. Aaron and I said when she was on the first time is that the bottom line is there's a balance between story and science and for entertainment, the story does come first. And, yeah. and I, I'm just interested that you, you choose the exact same words. <laughs> well, we work together a lot. So I mean, sure. that's why we think similarly. <laughs> and then the last thing, so that was sort of the, the one was, like I said, a, a large thing where it was in the context of the whole story in terms of Sukal. The second one was more an episode one. And then there were a couple of like quick, you know, hey, there, there's, here's a bit of dialogue. Can you science it, make sure it's okay? You know, and, you know I've, I've heard, I, I don't think they did this with me, but I think they have done it with um, Aaron, where it'll be, it'll be like, insert science here. <laughs> be a clause that's just missing, fill in something there. Or they might just give you something with some random clause. It's like with Aaron, I think it often, or with Dr. Aaron often has like quantum something. But, you know, we, we, other than just suggest like, well, rather than genetic, when you see ep epigenetic there, right? rather than this one, you say that. And they're very open to it, like, sure. And now if, it, if it's too much, if it's too weird or something like that, they'll sometimes push back. And it's good, they'll do that. They'll say like, look, this is really hard for the actor to say this, or it's gonna be too much for the audience to absorb that. Can you take it down to like one word or a simpler word? Is it okay if we say this? And, you know, I appreciate the fact that they're, they're, they'll work with me on that. And at the end, they have to make their, the best judgment for the show. I trust them implicitly. They're wonderful people, by the way. I've heard that. And I, as an audience member, there are times that I'm sitting there thinking, I really don't know if what they just said has any merit to it at all, or if it's just a word they made up to get the show moving. Yeah, sometimes and, it is. <laughs> and, and that's that's okay. It's just it the fact that I'm even wondering is a sign that somebody did their job right somewhere. Yeah. And if you go back like some more classically, like before um, Dr. Aaron and me, I mean, there was Andre Bormanis was the advisor for End of Next Generation and into Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And, you know, one of the things he said is like, you'd sometimes take a word and then tweak it a little bit. But honestly, if you think about a lot of this within science and like scientific research, a lot of the jargon that we use is based on some word that was used before with a slight tweak that somebody you know later put in there. So if you see a word that's unfamiliar and somebody says, there's no such thing as that, that's true for most of the scientific words we say. <laughs> so you know, trying if, you, to... if you're fast forwarding 200 years, sure, there's gonna be a whole bunch of words that nobody's ever seen, of course. Try and remember exactly what I was reading, but it, it basically describes the process that, that people come up with of coming up with theories and in some cases we just find something we don't know we give it a name yeah and then we act like that name is our understanding oh yeah. no we just said this is this is the problem and we yeah. just put it in a box and put it on a shelf yeah yeah no well said well said <laughs> like i said i didn't come up with that i just failing to remember where i got it from okay well i tell you what um before i let you go i do want to ask about one more thing please I'm happy okay and that is if you were to start a star trek show Ooh. not necessarily write it but just kind of conceptualize it something that would be come start from this point of science and work toward the story let's not worry about if that's a good idea or not mm -hmm. what would you like to do that's a good question so starting with the science so in yeah. this case the story doesn't necessarily have to yeah. be like yeah. really start from your strong points Start from your wheelhouse and work out from there. So one of the big things when they in the 
in the intros to the many to at least the earlier series, they always said like, you know, our mission is to seek out new life and new civilizations. Now, when they're seeking out new life, they're almost always seeking out new humanoid life. I mean, in fact, if you had the original series and they saw plants, they kind of ignored them. They, they sometimes like have plants they're like, there's no life science. I'm like, what? I see a tree. <laughs> What's wrong with that? It would be interesting to have more. I mean, you figure probably the most likely kind of life is probably microbial. I mean, if you know, based on like how is life going to originate, if, assuming it's completely independent of us, if it just originated, it's probably more likely to be microbial than something else. It would be interesting to have more of a focus on that than there is in other places. Now, you've seen that a couple of times in Star Trek. So, like the, the micro brain from the next generation or the little glowy lights. <laughs> I don't remember if you remember those, but I think they were silicon based too. That was that. I would like something more like that. I think that would be really interesting. Something that's, that's small and very likely, and you're just like, and you're trying to understand, maybe something where you're actually debating, and you know, this, this has come up more in the context of uh, artificial life, something where they're debating if it is alive. So something maybe that it, it does life's processes, but it does it on such a time scale that we just can't even detect it. Like, you know, it has metabolism, it has reproduction, but it does it over like, you know, centuries. You know, and otherwise you, you can't even tell it's moving. It's just kind of there and it seems like it's like a rock, but, you know, but it somehow if you could fast forward time, it would look kind of like us. <laughs> now, Star Trek has played a little bit with that, but again, always with human. It's, so, like, it's happened you, here and there. Yeah, like in the original series, they have the, the people who are like going around really fast because they drunk that weird water and then and they sounded like uh, bees or something. <laughs> and, and the episode of Voyager where... Blink of an uh, eye. Time, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so that, that all the time was that. Like, it wasn't even just like a specific organism. But it'd be interesting if you could be there and it's just all, everything's just off there trying to figure out what it is. And maybe especially if you add to it that it's also microbial. Is that alive? <laughs> It'd be fascinating to see. And then I, I think of that and I immediately go straight to the episode of The Simpsons where Lisa grows a civilization out of her tooth. And <laughs> yeah, that might be what I described, might be a tediously boring episode, everybody but me. <laughs> I, would think, I would think it was fascinating. <laughs> it would too. But I, I've always kind of wondered if you could get away from this at the humanoid part of it, yeah. but not necessarily go down to the microbial level. Just get to, say, finding an, an intelligent life that's based on, say, spiders, where yeah. They, they might be intelligent, but they have no idea of what we think of as, you know, culture, order, right and wrong. It's just like, you know, look out for me. Do yeah. That'd be cool. Or we, could have the, so. or we could have another Horda. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, have, a while back, I pitched an idea about something like that to uh, one of the Star Trek uh, audio production podcasts. Oh, really? oh, and cool. it. I'm kind of glad they didn't pick it up because I was going to get really grisly about it. <laughs> Basically, so these people get this crew gets captured on a planet of hyper intelligent spiders and they have no way out. And oh, wow. they, they, they pretty much either all commit suicide or go insane. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm yeah, not so, a big yeah. spider fan. So I would, I would not love this. <laughs> well, neither am I. And that's why I picked spiders. That's why, yeah. That's why it's extra scary. Yeah. So after you watched Star Trek three, did you go back and watch the original series TV shows? Yes. Uh, once I got into Star Trek three, that was like the beginning of my comp really getting into it. It was no longer just okay. this cute cartoon. It was like I wanted to watch Star Trek four the next week, and yeah. then I went home and I looked, opened up the TV guide, and, and okay, way back when you used to get a magazine that told you when things were on TV. <laughs> this is for the benefit of the well, with the viewers. Sunday then the Sunday newspaper would be the yep. TV week. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> or you might actually go pay money for a smaller, more convenient version of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I would look up every rerun of the original series and next gen. There was no DS9 yet. Nope. That, that was still coming out, but I heard about it not too long after that. And it was like, 
I get to get in on the ground floor with this new show, and yeah. new DS9 became my favorite, yeah. partially because of that. I assume you were taping them on VHS, too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I did the same, plenty. <laughs> and it, uh, DS9 and Next Gen were both syndicated, so they mm-hmm. stations would put them on whenever they wanted, and that mm-hmm. meant if you had the right time, you could actually watch the current week's episode and the next week's episode back-to-back if you planned it right. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But again, that's one of those things that today's kids will have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Now they're like, well, just wait till the series, uh, till the ser- uh, season ends and watch all of them in an hour <laughs> or in a couple hours. <laughs> so I, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Um, My pleasure. I, this has been me. a lot of fun. I would love to have you back anytime. Thank you. But so people can check out your work and follow your, your research. Where can people find you on social media and on the internet? Sure. So on Twitter, uh, I'm at twitter.com slash M-A-F, like Frank Noor, and like November O-O-R. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. It's called Biotrekkie Explains. Biotrekkie is spelled B-I-O-T-R-E-K-K-I-E. So if you just search in YouTube for that, it'll come right up. And you know, I have, a, I have one series that basically just ended and one ongoing series on there. So the, the one that just ended is called Biotrekkie with the Admiral. I did that one with Jane Brooke, who played uh, Admiral Cornwell in Discovery. And the one, my solo one is just like these little science briefs. It's just these like 10 minute ish videos on one science concept from like a couple of, from one episode each time. I'm going to link to everything on the show notes for this episode on my website, aaronbossick.com. So anybody who wants to find it will have easy access to it. Thank you. Again, thank you so much for having us. I wanted to let you go, but I hope to have you back soon. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a great one. You too. I would like to thank Dr. Noor for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, the part where we try to figure out how to grow the show in ways that don't cost you much in terms of time or money, why not mention the show to print media? I feel like us podcast fans are in this own little bubble where we know about the awesome content available on podcasts, but that doesn't get out to places like newspapers and print and traditional TV, and I think part of that is by design. Truthfully, I think that the older forms of media don't like a lot of things about podcasting, so they're very resilient to use it, but we have some awesome content here, and we know it, and this episode is a fantastic example. So if you can think of a publication that could use our content, please refer us to them. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.